Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? Good, good. The, this service is a little more full than the first service. All the responsible adults were at the first service. <laughs> no, losing an hour of sleep. How many of y'all know it's like, it hits you. Like I, I was feeling it this morning. I was like, man, I, I did not prepare myself for this. But I'm glad you guys are here. I'm gonna jump right into this message. Over the last year, we have been living in much more of a digital age than we ever have before. And as a church, I'm thankful that we were able to pivot to do the best that we could to meet the needs of our church, of our people, uh, by using digital platforms. And, you know, as I've been able to watch some people coming back to church and stuff, I've heard so many reports of people saying, man, that, that's been a, a lifesaver for us to be able to have church, to watch it online. Because we've been more of a digital church than we normally have been, all of us pastors, we've, we've tried to learn to, to utilize that, to be effective with that. And because of it, I've, I've been online a lot more this last year than I, I typically am. And that's because I'm, I'm utilizing that to, to encourage people, to support people, to try to pastor people better. But in doing that, I also know that a lot of us have moved towards communicating, building relationships digitally. And so I watch different people post things asking for prayer, asking for advice, which I think you should be really careful, you know, when you just go into this broad spectrum of people that are gonna be reading your posts and you ask pretty much everybody for advice on something, you may not always get good advice. It may not be specific enough or godly at all about what you should do. But as I've seen that, I've noticed that as people respond, and I think that they mean well in their hearts, they will communicate different phrases that I think, and, and I'm sure they believe, are like scriptural. Like these are things that God would say about this situation. I'll even have people ask me from time to time, hey, there's this, this verse, and then they'll tell me what they think is a verse, like, What's, where's that found? I'm like, well, actually, that's not in the Bible. That doesn't exist in the Bible. Uh, and I think it's just kind of a cultural norm. But I, I wanted to talk about a couple of those phrases this morning. Uh, one of the phrases is this, everything happens for a reason. Okay, well, that's not actually scriptural. That's not in the Bible. Uh, in fact, there's this verse, this is not the most encouraging verse in the Bible, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14 says this, sometimes something useless happens on earth. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Now, this is why I will say, God can give reason to anything, but not everything happens because God reasons it to happen. God can use anything that happens, but he's not always the proponent or the catalyst or the reason why something happens. So I think it's important for us to recognize that. Another phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle. Well, people say this like at the worst times and they use it in the wrong way. Some of the most tragic things happen to people and then people chime in with this little nugget, thinking that it's somehow 
scriptural or encouraging, but it's not what Paul was saying at all when he wrote this to the Corinthians. Not at all. And in fact, I have a tendency to believe that God actually works in the opposite way. I have a tendency to believe that God actually, because he is jealous for your devotion, because he is jealous for your attention and jealous for your trust, that a lot of times God will give you way more than you can handle, so you have to depend on him to show up. That's more the character of God. Another phrase, only God can judge me. Well, God didn't say that, Tupac did. And you can quote hip hop artists, that's fine, but please don't make it sound like something God would say. Now, the truth is this, only God can judge your eternal existence. Like God is the only one, he is the only one, and and we'll be really surprised, I think, on the day of judgment, who actually makes it and who doesn't. But the word actually tells us to be led by the Holy Spirit to test and judge the spirit of different things and what's happening to different people. You can certainly judge the fruit of a person or a situation and find out if it's godly or not. And I think God would ask us to do that. Another word or phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Well, that, it's cute. It's not scriptural though. Benjamin Franklin actually was the first one to pin that, but it's not in the Bible. And the one I wanna talk about today, this one makes me cringe the most. Just follow your heart. Follow your heart. This may be the most overused, unbiblical statement that people use to advise each other. Hey man, you just need to follow your heart. And that sounds so spiritual, it sounds inspirational, it's the foundation of every single movie on the Hallmark Channel. Like, this is what happens. They follow their heart. They overcome every obstacle and make it in time just for Christmas. You know, like, that's, that's the Hallmark Channel. There's so many songs about this. Country music, it's like this. There's a beer and a dog, and they follow their heart, and that is the recipe for some bro country right there. So for those of you who listen to self-help podcast to get your day started, or maybe you're just an Oprah addict, I do think this sermon is probably gonna challenge you a little bit today. The Bible never tells you to follow your heart. And if I'm just being honest, my heart is not worth following. Trust me. The Bible tells us to follow Jesus. A better way to say it is don't follow your heart, learn to lead your heart. Lead it. In Jeremiah 17, five, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where nothing lives. Aren't you glad you came to church so you could be encouraged this morning? But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes or pandemics or anything else. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought 
never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things. Everybody say all. Man, that is a strong statement. Above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I think there's some major consequences in following your heart. I wanna look at a couple of areas of our lives where it's really just not smart or wise to follow your heart. Like if you follow your heart with your health. Look, I can't listen to my heart when I'm hungry. Like it's a bad idea. Like if Cody sends me to the grocery store with a list of things that I need to get, I will get everything on that list plus a whole bunch of stuff we don't need. Like if I go and I'm just, man, I just, my heart's telling me that we need these things, but we also need every sweet and sour candy that is in this store. Like I need some sweet drink too. I need, I mean, we don't got any, I gotta get me some, some sort of caffeine drink. I gotta, my heart's telling me we need these things. Before you know it, I've spent hundreds of dollars on stuff we don't need. I wind up looking like Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber coming home from shopping. Like, look, nine o'clock at night, a chalupa will look really good to you. I promise you. But I just want to let you know if at nine o'clock at night, you're feeling led to Taco Bell, that is El Diablo. (laughs) That ain't God. You can't trust your heart. What if you follow your heart with your finances? Well, some people do. Don't go out and buy a new vehicle that you know you can't afford and say, it just felt right. Just felt right. And then four months later, when it's being towed away, don't ask, why has God done this to me? That ain't God. You got a you got Yukon taste on a Ford Fiesta budget. That's your problem. Follow your heart in relationships. Woo. Just follow your heart. How many of you seen that train wreck coming from a mile away? That one's caused a lot of hurt. That's not your heart or your brain or even basic common sense. You gotta know, like, most of the time, that's the enemy. That is the enemy, especially if you're married. And you think your heart's leading you to someone you're not married to. That's, that's the enemy. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Follow God's heart for you. So let me get a little stronger in case there's some of you that are starting to get offended. Following your heart is personal idolatry. That's what it is. The largest idol factory on the planet is the human heart. It'll lead you astray. Here's some scripture about who we should follow. In Mark 8, 34, it says this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Matthew 14, 19, 
Then he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. I wanna give you some principles about following Jesus and what this looks like, but I wanna preface it by saying that when you follow your heart, you really get messed up in a lot of areas, but three main areas, you get messed up in understanding who is going to be Lord of your life. How are you gonna deal with temptation? And then how are you gonna be led by God? So the first thing is this, you gotta decide who Jesus is to you. Decide who he is. This is a huge question. Who is Jesus to you? Now, in the Bible Belt, we know all the right answers. But what's the the honest answer? What's the honest answer? Not the one you know everybody wants to hear. The honest one. Because sometimes the correct answer is not always the honest answer. Like, if you ever watch somebody at an award ceremony, like getting ready to win an Emmy or something like that for music or a movie, this doesn't happen as much anymore because it's not PC. But people will get on stage to receive a reward, right? And they, they get up and they get that award and they step up to the mic and they say, first of all, I just wanna thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be able to do this without him. But then you start thinking about the music that they write and the movies that they act in. And we are not here to judge someone's salvation, but according to the fruit that their life is producing, it seems to be a little bit of a disconnect of what it means to have Jesus as your Lord, that you're submitted to him. I think that can happen. But I think a good honest question to ask is, who has Jesus been to you this past week? Like in your day to day, who has Jesus been to you? In Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied or answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, but my father in heaven. I think we can have a tendency to think that the world is being gracious by minimizing who Jesus is with complimentary terms. Like Jesus is a good person. It's true. Jesus is the truth, true. Jesus loves people, absolutely. Jesus is a nice guy. Jesus is my homie, man. But not very many people will say, Jesus is God, my Lord. He's in charge. 
I think a lot of people have made Jesus more of like a consultant in their life instead of making him Lord. Or worse, people like Jesus as a savior. But they don't necessarily want him to be in charge. And that's, that's a major disconnect because the truth is this. You need to be saved. We all do because we are all sinners. But the only way that we receive the power of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins, the only way that happens is we have to first completely surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Saving, being saved is an amazing, miraculous benefit of first making him Lord. It's like this. Cody is my wife. And I love her. And, and because Cody is my wife, there are other things that I can say about Cody. Like Cody is the mother of my children. Cody does an amazing job being a homemaker. Cody cleans and takes care of four kids and cleans up after them. Cody cooks us meals. All those things are true, but none of those things would be true if she wasn't first and foremost my bride, my wife. So could you imagine if I went up to meet somebody new for the first time and Cody was with me and I went up to introduce us and I was like, hi, my name's James and this is Cody, my cook. Now you don't know my wife very well. She was up here just a little bit ago and she's super sweet. But you have to also know she survived winters in Montana which means she's also proficient at killing animals at long distances and then skinning them and cutting them up. And I promise you, I say something like that, she will cut me. <laughs> and any of you husbands, you know when you said something dumb like that, a lot of times your wife will respond with something like this. What did you just say? Who do you think I am? And men, we all know, anytime a woman starts with a question, you're about to die. How many of you have ever had a teacher that wanted you to ace something so much that they would let you cheat just a little bit to get a good grade. Away, that wouldn't happen. If you are a teacher that does that, I wouldn't admit it. Not a good idea. Okay, but how many of you dads let your kids cheat just a little bit on some homework so they could get it done? Any dads in the house? Come on, don't, don't lie in church. I've done it. I'm proud of all of you men. I'm proud of you. Why? Because we want so much for them. 
to be successful, to get the answer right. Jesus wants us to ace the most important question so much, he actually puts the question or the answer in the question itself. Who do you say I am? I am. And then Peter responds, and the word he uses in the original language, it doesn't communicate on the pages that we read to the full degree that it should. Because essentially with what he says, he's declaring, you're my high priest, my king, my savior, the prophet. You're everything. You're everything. And this is amazing because the moment that he recognized Jesus is Lord, the Messiah, blessing comes. He says, blessed are you, Simon. You see, there is a direct correlation between the blessings in your life and your understanding of being under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I don't want you to miss that blessing. I don't want you to miss that blessing. Another element, you've got to trust God when you're tempted. Look, when you're following your heart, temptation gets very confusing because desires and wants, they get really amped up and it's hard to know what decision to make. So let's go to the example that Jesus set in dealing with temptation. In Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one, it says, then Jesus led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered him and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, or he said, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall Worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So here's the context. This is right after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. God has spoken his favor over him. The Holy Spirit ascends on him, but he has not started his ministry. He is led right from there, and it says he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, okay? Not to pray and fast. It says he is led to be tempted by Satan. Jesus knows what he's going to do. Okay, but, but here's the deal. He's leading him into the wilderness. And if you've been into this wilderness or if you've seen it, just east of Jerusalem, it's crazy. But it very quickly turns into some pretty harsh land. 
Uh, this is a lot of the same wilderness that, that David was hiding out in while Saul was trying to get him. And so this is, it's, it's not like trees and stuff. It's like more like desert with jagged rocks, okay? And so he's in a really harsh environment and then he starts praying and fasting. Okay, why? Because Jesus is setting an example for us. What do you do when you're tempted? But here's the thing. Most of the time when we are tempted, we're tempted because we have made decisions that have weakened us and put us in a place where we are susceptible and vulnerable to temptation. In other words, it's our sin, our decisions that typically puts us in a position to be more open to more sin and more temptation. Jesus was without sin. And so he prays and fasts, and at the end of prayer and fasting, he is at the weakest that he has been physically, emotionally, spiritually, and socially. So he puts himself in the position that we are typically in by our own choices, but he put himself in that position without sin. But when he is at his weakest, that's when Satan shows up. Now, you may have been tempted once or twice or maybe a few hundred times in your lifetime by some demonic force, but you've never been tempted by Satan himself because he can only be in one place at one time. But Jesus is being tempted by Satan himself. And he uses very practical things to try to tempt Jesus. But I want you to see what he does. See, the enemy knows when you are weak and vulnerable. And that's when he shows up. And I love that what Jesus did is he didn't lean on his own understanding. He didn't lean on his own authority. He didn't lean on justice. He didn't lean on what he felt was right and wrong. He went to the truth. He went to the word. I just want to admit that I have some struggles in my life. One of the struggles that I have in my life is I am very susceptible to unhealthy, unreasonable snacking late at night. I just wanna confess that right now. And I also wanna tell you that Cody is horrible accountability when it comes to this. In fact, a lot of the time, she's one of the main proponents of me, me snacking late at night. In fact, now that I think about it, Cody tempts me. Cody's a little bit like, never mind, I'm not gonna say it. But, but this is true, okay? So it have, like, it's late at night, kids are in bed. We wanna watch an episode, right, something. So we'll start watching the episode. We'll get five minutes and we're like, I'm hungry. She'll say it first. So I'm feeling, feeling hungry. A little snacky, snack time. So we'll pause, we'll go raid the, raid the kitchen. And, and for us, it's like a lot of salty foods, right? So we're like, we just, just get a little, little bowl of chips. No, no, we're gonna devour full bags of potato chips in one setting. It's going down, all right? because we feel like that's the right thing to do. But why are we doing that? It's late at night. We're not thinking as reasonably. No one in the middle of the day thinks, oh, I think I'm just gonna go dominate five bags of potato chips and a few soft drinks right now. You're weak. So I don't know what your particular vice might be, but let's just say there's a chocolate cake 
and it's late at night. And you're alone, even if you're with your spouse, you're alone with your spouse, which is just as bad because they ain't gonna help you. But you see it. And at first you're strong. You say, I rebuke you, devil. But then you negotiate. Maybe just a bite. Then you rationalize, I deserve a bite. I worked hard today. You know what? I'm going to the gym tomorrow. I'll work it off tomorrow. And before you know it, you just finished your second slice of cake. Why is temptation so strong? Because we love it so much, which is actually great news because there is a greater love from heaven that is strong enough to consume your love for anything else in your life. If you can see it. I love that Jesus uses scripture, but not just scripture. Jesus uses scripture from Deuteronomy. He quoted the word from when the Israelites were in their wilderness. He used what his father spoke to them in his wilderness to overcome. And there's a whole other sermon in the power of you understanding the connection between you speaking the word of God and putting it into action. There's power in that. I think the issue in our lives a lot of times is the difference between testing and trusting God. Like, I know in my own life, I'll do things my own way, which is typically the quick and rushed way. And then I will have this idea and this thinking like, God will cover me. His grace and mercy will catch up to me. But that's testing God. That's not trusting God. I mean, you can put God in there. He can spread a little Jesus on top of what you think you already wanna do. But that's not trusting. And Proverbs 16, 9 says this, in their hearts, man, there's that heart again. Humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Are you gonna trust him for those steps? This last week, on Monday, this last week, I was playing golf. I'm not a very good golfer. I'm still a hacker, but I'm trying to get better. But what happened was I was at Cyprus, uh, which is a golf course, and I was on hole number 13. It's a par three. If you don't know what that means, you're better for it. Don't get sucked into it because it just will frustrate you. But it's a par three, which basically means you've got three strokes in regulation to make your ball in the hole, which I almost never do. And so, but every single time I step up, this happens. Every time I step up at a par three, I talk to God. And I say, God, if you will just let me make a hole in one, if you'll just let me make a hole in one, and then I will make some sort of deal, okay? Now, some of y'all, you may not relate to this, but you ever been in a deer stand before? And you're like, God, if you will just let a big old buck step out in front, I will X, Y, and Z. So I did that. I stepped over it, and I was like, God, if you will let me hit a hole in one, I will be a better husband and father to my children. 
and I swung and I bladed it, which is basically just a stink. And I hit a horrible shot. And, but I hadn't really hit him that bad that day. So I was like, man, that is so frustrating. So I was with a friend. He, he golfs a lot. And I was like, hey, man, I'm just going to hit a second ball. I don't, I don't want that to be my, my swing thought. That wasn't, that wasn't good. And so I stepped up, and I was just, at that point, just relaxed. So I stepped up, swung. And you know when you've golfed enough, you know when it's a good swing. You can hear a good swing. You can hear it. And I, I hit that ball and I knew I hit it good. In fact, I just started walking. Like I hit it and started walking. And I said, as I was walking, I was like, man, the second guy is always better. And as I'm saying that, that ball lands on the fringe and rolls in the hole. So to translate that, the only hole in one that I have ever hit and maybe ever will hit didn't count. I hit a 155 yard par shot. That's what I did. And I have never been so simultaneously excited and depressed in one moment. And I felt like the Lord kind of spoke to my heart. I want to bless you, but are you going to test me or trust me? I'm like, oh man, why you gotta make everything a sermon, God? <laughs> like, I don't know if I'll ever hit another whole one ever again. <laughs> it was so surreal. The guy's witches fell on the ground. He didn't even know what to do. I think he got slain in the spirit. I don't know. <laughs> He's been golfing a long time. He's like, I've never seen somebody hit a hole in one. I'm like, well, you still haven't. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. A couple weeks ago, we finished up a series on the Holy Spirit. If you missed it, please go back, listen, watch. Because we talked about who he is. We talked about how to be led by him. And I think, I know some of your spiritual lives have been changed by the Holy Spirit, even through that series. And some of you, your lives were not changed. And I think you need to check in on that and make sure that you surrender and are being obedient to what God asked you to do. But we talk about how he leads and how sometimes he, he nudges you. He just gives you these little nudges. You're going about your day and you get a nudge to move towards someone, say something, encourage or bless someone, buy lunch for someone. I call it divine appointments. And I'll tell you what, man, it is a blast to live in that space. It's an adventure. I wish I could say that I always am obedient and pay attention to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. I will miss it more times than I'll get it right. But there's been a few times when by his grace, I've been able to be obedient. Uh, quite a while ago, over 10 years ago, I was in Mexico leading a team of high school students on a missions trip and uh, Pretty sure we were in Mexico City and we had just finished a full day of ministry. We do a lot of street ministry, a lot of dramas and stuff. And man, it was a long, hard day. Everybody's hot. It was hot. Everybody's sweating. And we are making our way towards the bus stop. Um, we're running a little bit behind. We're making our way to the bus stop so we can get back to where we're staying. And as we get to the bus stop, I can see the bus coming down the road at, a, at another stop just before ours. But I see this 
older man. He's over on the corner, and he's a street vendor. And you see this a lot in, in big cities and a lot of developing nations. But he's just over there, and he's just got this, this wore-out box of, of chewing gum. That's what he had. They call them chiclets down there. And that's what he's selling. And, and you know, it's probably the only way he earns enough money to get a meal and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to go talk to him. And I'm like, God, I have, this has been a long day. I, I'm tired. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I've been doing your work. I got all these teenagers with me. But by his grace, I was, I paid attention to the nudge. And I just turned to the team and I said, hey, guys, we're going to miss our bus. And you can imagine what the response was from a bunch of American teenagers, you know, like with all their first world problems. They weren't happy with me, not happy at all. I'm like, I'm sorry, we, there's something that I feel like the Lord told me to do and we're gonna do it. So I walked over to this man. I speak a little bit of Spanish. So I was able to introduce myself and just get a basic gist of who he was, but I had a translator with me too. And so we just engaged in conversation and heard a little bit of his story. And I just said, sir, I, I know you don't know us, but, but for one reason or another, the creator of the universe, God, saw fit to bring some gringos down here to Mexico in the middle of a city with 36 million souls. And at the end of a long day of us trying to tell people about who he is and trying to encourage people and love people, he saw fit to to bring us over here, to talk to you, just to tell you how much he loves you. And, and I know you may feel forgotten by the world around you as you stand on this corner and, and sell gum to try to make a living, but I wanna let you know that your heavenly father has not forgot about you and he loves you. And, and then we... I, that was it. He was really emotional, but at that point, I, I just felt like that's what the Lord said, that's enough. But the, the, the person we were with was at a local church. We always work through local churches, and so they were able to get him the address of the church. And, and, and I was like, you know, can we make an arrangement to come pick him up? And he's like, no, it's fine. I'll ride the bus. He's like, bus stop's right there. I'm like, yeah, I know. But we, we caught the next bus and, and left. And a couple days later, it was Sunday. And we were getting ready to have services and stuff. And, and I saw this man walk in through the doors of the church. And we were at a great church. They did a great job welcoming him. But I, I ran and I just welcomed him. I'm just so thankful to see him in there. So we sat through the service. And then after service, I, I, I didn't really get to talk with him. And he wound up leaving. The pastor told me, though, that, that he did make an, a commitment to the Lord, but I didn't really get to see what happened. And then we wound up leaving. It was so encouraging to be a part of that. But a few years later, I went back to that same church and we were having a service and I saw him. And I went and, and greeted him and just, I don't know if he remembered me at all, um, but just told him I was thankful to see him. And, and uh, and, you know, so I went back to the pastor. I'm like, man, it's so great. He's like, yeah, it's, 
I'm like, it looks like he's sitting with a bunch of people. I was like, man, it looks like he's been able to get connected and build community. He's like, yeah, he has, but everyone that's sitting with him is his family. It's his kids and grandkids. And over the years, they've all slowly but surely started coming to church. You see, that is the kingdom of God. And that is how the Holy Spirit moves. And that is the opportunity that we all have to participate in. Every one of us. The truth is this, though. If you spend your life following your heart, you will miss those opportunities because you're broken. Your flesh can be so strong. Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. And if you allow the the whims of culture and and all that, you'll be like that verse says, like, like like a bush in the desert, like a tumbleweed, just blown wherever the wind blows. God has so much more for you than that. Romans 8, 14 says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God and daughters. I believe that, uh, man, God is getting ready to do something. I don't know what it is. You can call it revival, you can call it an awakening, you can call it whatever it is. I want us to participate in it. It would break my heart if it wound up being that you were just one of the people sitting in the crowd watching the game instead of being in the game and being a part of what God's doing. But you can't be led by your heart if you're gonna participate in this. You gotta let the word of God be the truth and be the standard. You gotta let the Holy Spirit be your conviction, your power, your guide. You gotta be led by God and his heart. Follow Jesus. Close our eyes, bow our heads. there's probably a good chance there's at least a couple people in here that maybe even for a majority of your life, you had the right answers to who is Jesus. You had the right answers. But if you were really honest, you've never surrendered. You've never totally surrendered. You you may have had a salvation experience at some point. And I'm not gonna question that salvation. But the greatest tragedy would be that you walk through life experiencing salvation and never experience life and life to the full. That only happens when Jesus is Lord, when he's the boss. And God hasn't called any of us to live life and arrive safely at death so that we can go to heaven. He's called us all and created us with a purpose, with specific giftings.
So if you're here today and you just know you're not surrendered to him as your Lord. Maybe you did at some point, but if you're honest, you can tell you haven't been producing fruit that shows, man, he's the boss. He's my everything. He's my king. And if you're in this place and you know that your heart is not in that place, you, you're not walking under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I wanna give you a, an opportunity to respond to him and to his spirit, beckoning you and calling to you to come to him, to come back to him. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you in front of everyone else. I just want you to be bold enough to admit it before your God and, and just to me as your brother in Christ so I can pray with you, agree that, that today is the day that not only do you experience salvation from your sin, but you experience life to the full under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and walk into the fullness of the blessings that he has for you. So no one looking around, every head bowed, eyes closed. If that's you and you know you need him, I want you to put your hand up right now and don't hesitate. Yes, ma'am, anybody else? I need him, I'm away from him. Got you, bro, there at the back. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, I got you over here. Yes, sir, got you, bro. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Look, some of you are a little slow in this because you're, maybe it's pride, maybe it's just stubbornness, or maybe it's just whatever, and that's okay. But don't let the moment pass. You know, when Jesus would walk, he would walk slowly through a crowd. He would walk slowly because he knew that there were people that were struggling with the decision of whether or not they were gonna be obedient to call on him, to get his attention, to experience everything that he had for him. And so he would walk slowly, but the truth is he would walk and I feel like there might be a couple of you like that's the picture, Jesus is walking and he is giving you the opportunity to call on him to say, I need you, Jesus, but don't let him pass by. Is there anyone else? Yeah, got it, got it, got it. Anybody else? Okay, so for everybody, if I missed your hand, I'm sorry. That doesn't get you saved. Your hand raised is not what gets you saved. I just want you to know with your hand raised is your brother in Christ. I'm believing in faith. I got you, little man. But right now, I'm believing with you as your brother in Christ. And this is what it, this takes. It just takes an honest conversation to the Lord to say something like this. You can say this as loud as your own ears need to hear it, or you can just say it in your heart. You need to go public with this decision. You need to tell somebody about it. A great way to tell everybody about it, tell your, your church family about it is through water baptism. We try to have those as consistently as we can. But this is what you need to tell the Lord. You need to tell him, Lord, I know that I have made a lot of mistakes, and I know that, that a lot of those mistakes are sin, and I know my sin separates me from you. But because of your love, you had a plan and you sent your perfect son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life. But he died the death of a sinner in my place. He paid the price on the cross for my sin. And right now I ask for your forgiveness 
and I thank you for paying the price for my sin. But I thank you that you did much more than just dying for my sin. You rose from the grave, which means you, you didn't just pay the price for my sin, but you also defeated my sin so I can walk in victory. And you didn't just defeat my sin, but you defeated death itself so that I don't have to live life in insecurity and fear, blown and tossed by the wind, but I can live with confidence knowing you have given me a purpose and a calling and you spoke into me before I was even born. You knit me together in my mother's womb with a purpose to do things for you. And so right now, I know the only way I can walk in that. There's no way I can do it. My heart can't be trusted. So I surrender to you as my Lord. Give you control. Be my everything. Be my everything. Thank you for being my Lord and saving me. I give you my life. Father, thank you for helping us by your word to see clearly. We don't want a relationship of convenience. We don't want to have a God of benefits. We want to have a personal relationship with the King, with the Lord, the creator of the universe. That's what we want. Help us to be surrendered to that so we can fulfill your purpose here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.